Have you ever felt that your life's journey is out of your control? Amy Lyle felt helpless in many stages of her career in the entertainment business. One day she had a contract, the next day nothing. The cycle often repeated itself along with the frustrations of rewriting things more often than she could count. Now possibly you can relate with Amy. At those times in your career and in your life when you felt out of control. This is going to be an exciting adventure today that Amy is going to take us on her journey and how she got things back in order. Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Amy, you said that humor was one of the most important things in your life, and it carried you through the rough times. I think that many people will be able to relate with that. So could you share how humor saved you and your sister's lives? Yes, of course. Um, I grew up in this kind of military controlled, angry, ragey type environment with um, parents that shouldn't have never been married. But um, and so my having my sister, we would uh, do complete comedy routines in the basement. And basically it was imitating our parents. And we could just look at each other, you know, my father was raging or whatever. We could just give each other a look or, you know, we were there for each other, but we connected through humor. I mean, because we would be laughing like, you know, sometimes when somebody is raging, they really look like a toddler. Like it's scary. You look like a toddler. They've lost control. Their face is red. They're jumping up and down. They're throwing things. It's not funny. However when you're when you have seen somebody imitate that behavior before it's funny so then when you're in the middle of them doing it again and somebody's giving you a look like here we go it's um it really saved us and and the majority of I do some stand-up comedy a lot of comedians have come from a very traumatic childhood and that is that's one coping mechanism like honestly I don't know of a comedian that did not come from some kind of you know, very dramatic childhood. My favorite comedians, you know, Kevin Hart, um, you know, Eddie Murphy. Okay, um, right, right. Lee Schumer, like a lot of my favorite comedians, if you look, they had um, drug abuse, you know, with their, you know, their parents were abusing drugs or the parents were divorced and had extremely volatile environment or whatever. And so you know that and it's so it's so cathartic to talk about it or write about it, right? That's why people do that. Like if you don't want to share it publicly, just writing down your pain, uh, studies show that that helps you, but it magnifies helping you if you stand up in front of people and they laugh it. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah, so I, 
lot of people can relate. And so that's why it's so funny. Yeah. And, and they say things that people don't necessarily know is true about them, but they're relating to it, correct? Yes. I mean, it's, um, I, I mean, I don't know anyone that doesn't know someone that had a very traumatic childhood. You know what I mean? I mean, I yes, guess there are whole yes. groups of people that no one had a traumatic childhood, but I, I don't know if uh, people attract certain types of people, but most people that I know had some something traumatic happen in their life. Interesting. And mm -hmm. that I really appreciate the fact that you and your sister, you had your sister, of course, but also that you could do this play like, you know, the back and forth. I mean, that was hilarious. Did you take... Did, yeah, <laughs> it was the premise. I mean, even to this day in comedy, I will, you know, share stories about my dad. And, you know, he's, you know, lately he's um he's 80. So, like, his entire social life is funerals. Like, he goes to a lot of funerals. So, he's, like, he rates the funerals mm. on, like, the quality of, like, the <laughs> caskets and the casseroles he's like the yelp of funerals oh, that's and so funny. i'll talk about that and he'll call me and he'll you know he'll be like they had these little tiny cucumber sandwiches he's like it was like we were in a pow camp all huddled around these you know he just <laughs> says these like ridiculous things and now he's softened of course right he's 80 years old anyway he still says ridiculous things as all parents do as i do to my kids say ridiculous things that i'm sure they're writing down and sharing with their friends yes it, it, it is a uh, way to get that out is to write about it or to do stand-up comedy or you know whatever's going on your in your life a lot of creatives that has um there's a there's a lot of that behind their art is you know trying to struggle or to make sense or to heal from something traumatic for sure so how so, did you get into comedy yeah i've always kind of been like a class clown funny person like i'm really popular at cocktail parties you know what i mean like i know how to tell a good story but telling a funny story at a cocktail party is very different than writing a book that's comedic or standing on stage and doing something comedic. Mm -hmm. And um, But my sister was like, you're so funny. Why don't you do a routine? And I'm going to send it in to um, – there used to be this show like 20 years ago, and it was America's Funniest Moms. That was the name of the show. And so I did this short routine. It was maybe like five minutes, you know, and she sent it in and I got, I got an audition and it was at the Funny Bone in Atlanta and I did it and I can, rem I can still remember the routine to this day. I did it all about Disney princesses being raised on Disney princesses and how like the message was be tidy and you, even if you have to change your species or pretend you're asleep in the woods, like by God, you better get a man. You know, that was like the message back then. Uh -huh. So I can still remember that routine. And so I did it and then, you know, then I ended up getting married and having kids and working and everything. So it was kind of stag stagnant and then later in life I ended up getting remarried and my husband was like hey he had three kids I had one kid by the way I thought I could handle that I I didn't I couldn't handle it, it was horrible but um we worked it out the kids are grown now but I, he's like hey this one's going to football this one's going to tennis this one's going to violin this one's doing whatever can you would there be any way that you would want to stay home and at the time I was a corporate trainer I traveled for 50 percent of the time so I was like, oh, sure. How hard could that be? Oh, my gosh. You know, being a corporate trainer or a, a salesperson for 20 years was way harder than managing four children, as you can imagine. <laughs> but uh, so I started volunteering as an actor for a very large nonprofit in Atlanta. And uh, and it was so fun. And it was a comedic role. It was basically like I would warm up the crowd, which was kids, before the Bible storyteller came on. And 
and I loved it so much. It was so fun. I did it for almost 10 years. And then I started writing those little scripts. I was like, who writes these scripts? They're so funny. So I started writing for them and that was fun. And I wrote for different environments, like rural kids, like toddlers and their elementary school environment. And, and then from there, I got the bug to write something more. So I started writing a screenplay. There's a very long story about that, but I ended up not being able to get representation. He said, you have to write a book or a blog. So I ended up writing a book. That book got a great response and people started sending me funny stories like, oh my gosh, you know, you pooped your pants, listen to my story or, oh, you got divorced or mm-hmm. went on a horrible date. Let me tell you my horrible date. And they were so funny that I would reply to them and say, hey, may I, one, edit this, two, might have the story, and three, not give you any royalties. And um, 99% of the people said, yes, you can have this story. And a lot of them let me use their name. And then some of them didn't let me use their name. And so that's how the second book came to be. But that's that's what that's how my, like, quote, creative career got launched as I started volunteering as an actress. You never know. (laughs) You never know. I know. And then it was so weird. I was like, when I was promoting the books, I was my own PR person and I was just reaching out to like local television stations and of course, podcasts and radio stations. And I landed a spot just as a guest on a local television. They're an NBC affiliate, WXIA. It's called Atlanta and Company, and they interviewed me. And then they're like, "Oh, you're, you're. We, we really enjoyed having you. Would you like to come back and be?" They had like this. It's live television, so at the end of the show, you know, they have to have a filler, and the filler could be seven minutes, or the filler could be fourteen minutes. It just depends on how how things played out and how many guests. And so they have this filler called Real Talk, and they have four women and we talk about mainly mommy stuff or women stuff. And I was a guest on that show every other Tuesday for three years. Hmm. Isn't that crazy? No and then kidding. The reason I stopped, yeah. And the only reason I stopped being a guest is because of COVID. So, and the studio's closed. So they're doing, doing kind of some Facebook live stuff. But when the studio opens up, I hope I'll be invited again. And, um, and then from that, I started my own show, which you talked about in the intro called in the burbs at a different studio. Cause that studio saw me on that studio and they're like, Hey, would you like to be a guest? And then I was a guest and I'm like, Oh, would you like to fill in if one of our hosts are out? And I was like, sure. So I was filling in for the host and they're like, Hey, would you want your own show? So it's just, I really just wanted to be a screenwriter, Carol. That's it. I just wanted to get this this feature film out. And then it, it, it just, um, sometimes what you think you want, if I would have been given that 10 years ago, I would have missed this entire other journey. And what do you enjoy the most? I still enjoy writing the most when I am writing a stand-up comedy joke, or I am writing for in the burbs, or I am writing for, um, my film ended up getting picked up by a different producer and she wanted to turn it into a dramedy, kind of like sex in the city meets desperate housewives. Oh, okay. And so, um, anyway, I had to write the pilot and do the deck for that. And I just get lost in time. Like that's when, you know, like you're doing something you were meant to do. It's just like time escapes me when I'm, when I'm writing something funny. So I love that the most, uh, the writing stuff. I mean, I really enjoy being host on my show and stuff, but if I had to pick, I would just write the show. Have you noticed any change in how you are accepted since COVID, whether it's your books or your stand-up? Are people looking for more humor or do they find it difficult to laugh? You know, I think people are absolutely looking for more humor. And I was so fortunate to, throughout COVID, to be booked for 
um, events that were Zoom or even live events where large groups that they were very, very spread out and, you know, masks and everything. And it was interesting. There were financial company groups or they were some large real estate groups. And they said, we're so sick of Zoom, the live events. We're so sick of Zoom and we're so sick of like lunch and learns. We don't want to learn anything. We want to learn the perspective of how we can get some more humor in our life. And would you, and so it was kind of a combination of a book reading and a kind of a rah-rah to, you know, appreciate your own failures and, and how failures, if you are forthcoming in that can really grow your team and have people trust you and build trust and have people be forthcoming with their own failures and how you can get through it. So no, I was very lucky to stay busy to keep doing that throughout COVID in some capacity. Very well received, as you can imagine, because people were so cooped up and they're just like, oh, I just want to laugh. So it was, and and, and most groups were large women, to be honest with you. There There were large groups of women and most of my stuff women get because I'm a mom and, you know, I'm a woman. Do you see doing that more in the future? Yeah, I, I hope so. I did. The, the the Super Bowl, as you know, of of speaking engagements is a TED Talk. That's, you know, that's like you've, you've hit the big time when you get a TED Talk. And so I filled out, you'll, you'll love this girl. So most people probably get a TED Talk in whatever, a couple applications. I filled out almost 100 applications <laughs> before I got a TED Talk. It was a bucket list item and I just filled them out every day. I just filled them out every day. I had a big list and I kept filling them out. And so I finally got a TED Talk out of Boston, Beacon Street's Boston TED Talk. And the talk was on finding the funny and the crummy. And I did that TED Talk because, well, one, I I truly believe that you should find the funny and the crummy. And it's very healing to to do that. But two, I was like, this is going to launch my, you know, more of a paid speaking engagement type thing. And then when I did it, I really evaluated it. And I was like, yes, I would do it again. And I will do it if I'm asked. But I would say that's not my goal anymore is to be a speaker that travels around the world and and does that. Why do you think that changed? I just enjoy writing more. I I don't know. And there's a lot of prep to it. I don't know if you've done a, a TED Talk, but there is a lot of prep to that. And I get bored. It's like, you know, you know how some comedians, they do the same jokes over and over and right, over again. I'm right. like that type of comedian. I have new material every time I do stand up comedy, even if it's a couple of jokes and I love writing. And so to do the same thing over and over and over again, I just don't find that exciting or a challenge. You probably do a lot of off the cuff as well. Don't you? I do not with stand up comedy. Oh, I you really don't. write it and I stick to it. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I thought you would be the type that would relate to the audience and just, you know, like kind of run with it. But uh, that that takes a lot of control probably, right? Yeah. And it's it's different than being at a cocktail party where you literally can play off someone. Mm, And that's funny at a cocktail party. But, you know, it it would be different if I had been doing stand-up comedy for 20 years and I was like that level, but I'm not. (laughs) So I really stick to the jokes that I know. And if an opportunity presents itself and it's irresistible, I might do something, but I'm not looking for that necessarily. Mm-hmm. I never thought of it that way before, but there is a real difference between being a comic at a party versus standing in yeah. front of, that takes work, right? <laughs> it takes a lot of work. <laughs> oh, like in stand-up comedy, like I usually do mommy jokes or husband jokes or stuff like that. So, you know, they kind of flow together. So it's not an issue like it has to be perfect. Like if I forget a joke, it's like, oh, and I forgot about about daughter number four and you know and, right. and I can I can improv my way back to that joke if I forget it but it's kind of you know follows a, 
follows a journey. And is there any particular uh, theme that you prefer over another? It really is. It's it's mainly like being a mom and being a working mom and, you know, my husband's, you know, our relationship fighting with him and, and the kids and how terrible they are and drive me nuts and how we get through that. And most people can relate to that, you know, and we have good kids. It's not that our kids are terrible, but you know, of course. you know how it is. And yeah, what about the dogs? Is- are they part of your routine too? You know, I've never done a dog joke in stand up, but like I was saying, I have a dog. I don't, I don't know. It's kind of too long. You know, you, it's just like writing a movie. It's like, if you can say it in four words, don't say it in five. The same applies for stand up comedy. Mm. And so, um, but real quickly, um, we had a, a dog that the hair kept falling out of the dog and we didn't know what was going on. And we changed dog food and this, and the a vet's doing all these tests and like, it's just stress. Like it must be stress. And, and so the, the chapter that I have about this, I'm like, this dog is not stressed like this. And I have pictures of all the, my dog's friends in our neighborhood. I'm like, look, he goes from <laughs> place with Hershey in the morning and then he swims in the lake and then he gets a massage. And so it ended up one day I came home and the housekeepers were spraying the dog with Fabrice. What? Why? And the dog didn't because dog stinks because dogs stink and so they were spraying the dog with febreze and then i'm like no you can't spray the dog and then as soon as they stopped spraying the dog with febreze all the day i'm glad you're laughing i think i would have um, been screaming uh, it, wasn't funny. it wasn't funny at the time because it was like the the dog was really suffering you know what i mean yes it's coming off it's funny everything is funny in hindsight but it was not yes. funny at the time because we were extremely concerned like oh my goodness this dog has a skin condition or a serious health problem what mm-hmm. kind of dog was it? That was a golden retriever. Oh, they got a lot of hair. <laughs> so imagine the giant patches of hair falling out. You're like, what is, what is happening? Mm-hmm. Well, before we go on to your books and your show, which I want to give some time to and, and break down some of the crazy things that you said in your books. I read some of the reviews and I was laughing out loud. And you know that when you can make somebody laugh out loud and they're by themselves, that's a good sign. <laughs> Thank you. So anyway, before we do that, we're just going to take about a 30 second break and we'll be right back. Carol Graham would like to show you the path from misery to miraculous triumph in her fast paced memoir, Battered Hope. She relates her determination to succeed as someone who experienced one horrendous nightmare after another, gang raped and left for dead, loss of a child, husband falsely imprisoned, and cancer. Nothing could break her tenacity or faith. No matter what you face, heartache, loss, suffering, or injustice, Carol will illustrate how she became a victor the same way you can. The secret is to never, ever give up hope. Order your copy at Amazon or batteredhope.blogspot.com. So tell us about your books. First of all, share, if you want to share them individually. And the, I know you did a little bit already, but give us some of the funnies in the books. I read, I read the reviews, like they are so funny. So whatever you would like to share, whichever book first, tell us about them, please. Oh, sure. So, um, okay. So the book started from, again, a entertainment attorney saying, you can't just waltz into Hollywood. I don't care how funny you are. You need to have a book or a blog. And I was like, well, what am I supposed to write a book about? And he's like, write what you know. And I was like, literally, I said, 
I have had a lot of failures. And um, very, very quickly, I was able to write 60,000 words about failures. And of course, I had a couple <laughs> editors and, um, and, we, and we honed it down. And they were literally like the book opens with me marrying my best friend and everybody says you should marry your best friend. But then you tell your best friends things that you don't tell somebody that you're having sex with. You know what I mean? Like, diarrhea. I mean, like literally like you shouldn't <laughs> tell your husband those things. And so quickly, we not quickly, 13 years. It wasn't quick at all, Carol. It was very long drawn out. But um, in 13 years, we found out we were much better friends than we were, you know, husband and wife. Huh. And, you know, we have a beautiful daughter and we raise her together and everything. But um, and so then I launched into, you know, me thinking, you know, a single for you know, like five years and my, I a best friend set me up with this guy and he had three kids and I had a kid and, you know, I, I had been a corporate trainer. I traveled half the time and this guy's like, um, well, I have three kids. Are you sure you're going to be okay with three kids? And I was so crazy in love with them. I'm like, sure. Like how hard could that be? You know, have it at home with four kids that aren't mine. And, um, and I, I compare it to like Katie Holmes, like, okay, so Tom, you know, Cruz believes mm-hmm. in like galactic spaceship comes and gets him and takes him off. But who cares? He's adorable. Like, you know, and, and then later, you know, you find out like, holy moly, this is difficult. So um, anyway, the book is made up of like bad first dates and like getting fired. And I mean, you name it, like a fall, like a terrible fall. Like I worked for this company, these beautiful marble staircases. And I felt like violently down the steps. And I was, this was in the nineties. And so I was in my, um, Heather Locklear from Melrose place. Remember her? <laughs> yes. With the, with yes. The, the skirt and, the big, and stilettos and the pantyhose. And I fell down, Carol, I fell down so hard. It was like, like screaming and my leg was twisted under me and my skirt I'm not making this up was rolled up all the way to my armpits and I had thigh high pantyhose on because as I say in the book you don't want a sweaty crotch it's 110 degrees in Atlanta in the summer and I had these underwear on that said oh I had a hamburger and it said like happy buns and it was a picture of a cheeseburger on my underwear and literally the second floor was like open, you know, it was like glass and it was open. And it's like 40 accountants looking down at me. And oh, I no. hobbled all the way to my car. And then I realized I forgot my purse. So, no. oh. so I hobbled. I'll be back. So just, you know, stuff like that. And yes. um, just really funny stories. And people responded, you know, and they reached out to me like, oh my gosh, I had this, I found in the steps and I, my funny step story, I think I, I don't think I say this in the book, but in, in real life, after I fell down the steps, I got on the elevator when I came back in to get my keys and this woman goes, she's helping me like twist my skirt around. And she's like, um, are you okay? I'm like, yes. And she goes, did you break your teeth? And I was like, no, I did not chip my teeth. And she's like, well, I fell down. I chipped my teeth. And she went on to tell me the story that her fall was 10 times as bad as my fall. And she chipped her front teeth. And I talk about how in that moment we laughed really hard, but also I felt all the shame was lifted because Mm. here's another human being. Here's another human being that experienced that. And so on a very, very serious level, that's what happened with the Me Too movement, which is not funny at all. But that's what happened when somebody says that happened to me, you are immediately kind of relieved of your shame. And so anyway, the book really promotes that like you, you know, you need to not tell everybody everything, but 
you know, it's okay to tell people your funniest things and, you know, some funny ex-husband stories or some funny kid stories. And nine times out of 10, someone's going to be like, oh my gosh, that happened to me. And if they don't, then those probably aren't your people anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Good response. And now what about the second book? So the second book, as I was saying, the the first book did really well and, you know, it, it opened at number one and then it's bounced back to number one on different occasions. It's, it stayed in like the top 100 in a couple categories, but for three years now, but it bounces back to number one once in a while. And I mean, I'm in a category with like Trevor Noah and Amy Schumer and Amy Poehler and Tina Fey. What's the name again? I mean, interrupt you. Tell us the name again. Sure, It's, um, the book of failures. Yeah. And so, um, people started sending me their funny stories. And so I was like, oh my gosh, this is so funny. I'm going to write another book about other people's funny stories. And um, so they're like, worst dates, or they're like vacations where we almost got murdered. Or, um, I mean, just all kinds of funny things. The worst gifts from mother-in-law. It's hilarious. And so I started soliciting that, you know, through Facebook or whatever. Oh, and in conjunction with that, every Friday, I was posting a Friday fail, like hashtag Friday fail. And it normally wasn't from the book of failures. It was normally just like my own experience. Like one time I posted, I burned dinner and I showed a picture and I didn't burn dinner in the oven. The, I put the box of pasta too close to the fire and it literally caught on fire in the, in the house. So I took a picture of that before I put the fire out. And somebody, then people would text or mail me or comment rather on Facebook and be like, oh, one time I did this and this caught on fire. And so I wrote, you know, a whole nother book called We're All a Mess it's okay. And that is a collection. Some of the stories are mine, but it's mainly a collection of other people's funny stories, funny first dates, funny, you know, gifts, funny, whatever. What's the next book? I don't know yet. I I will know when I know, you know what I mean? It's like, um, that, that burning thing is inside of you that you have to get it out. And right now I've dedicated all my time to this, um, pilot and, um, getting that going that it, that uses up all of my creative energy. So I'm not sure if I'll do another book, but maybe. And the pilot is, explain that one again. Okay. The pilot was a previously a full feature and then, um, long story, uh, short, some legislation. I don't know if you know this, but there was a boycott Georgia film movement when some legislation was brought out around reproductive rights. And to be honest with you, it did not impact Disney or Marvel films or anyone big. It only impacted money from Hollywood and independent films. I do remember that. Yes. Yes. Yep. So there's a lot of female, female and women and men that are directors and writers, actors in the state of Georgia that did or did not support that legislation that no longer had jobs because it got boycotted. So the project got put on hold because the Hollywood money pulled out. And so a couple years later, a a filmmaker friend of mine, Sam Jurgens, he was with a producer and she was wanting a female-centric comedy. And he's like, oh my gosh, you've got to read this comedy by Amy Lyle. It's really funny. Well, she read it and she's like, Amy, I love this, but I think it would do better as a series. Can you rewrite this as a pilot and then, you know, 10 episodes or whatever? And so then I did. So that's where I am with that. And we're shopping that right now. So who, I don't know who's going to buy that, but I'm very excited to have a producer representing it. What about what about In the Burbs? Okay, In the Burbs is a show that's on uh, United Media, uh, UI Media, 
Um, you can look it up in the bur if you want to watch it on YouTube. It's in the Burbs TV with Amy and Gina, or on Facebook. Facebook, it's in the Burbs with Amy and Gina. And I write that show, and is an hour-long talk show with uh, another co-host. Her name is Gina Riles, and we have um, different guests. Like we've had uh, Russell Dennis from The Queen's Gambit from the Netflix hit. He, he, he's an actor. He's been on the show. We've had Brian Davis. He's the creator and director of We Are the Champions, a hit Netflix show. We've had Jenny Lawson, a number one, you know, multiple best-selling New York Times writer on the show. We've had Karen White. She writes um, this great murder series that's set in Charleston on the show. So we have, um, you know, writers and creatives and, and coaches. And it's, it's all about, you know, positive energy and improving our lives and changing our mindsets and being healthy and all that stuff. So that's on twice a month. And I really, really enjoy writing it and co-hosting. It's really fun. You have used humor obviously in the in your early life as you said to get through you know those rough times that you and your sister were during and then you turned it into a life of humor which is awesome immediately without even reading the book completely yet i related and so there oh, there are so, so many people yeah. who are going to relate because i think humor is often relatable even though it's not like you said the lady falling down the stairs you know it was it was a horrific experience but yet with hindsight you know hindsight yeah. she can laugh at it so that's good that's excellent and i think we've all experienced that my question specifically to you is because of, we have to address, because of the world that we're living in now, is not the same world it was five years ago or two years ago or 10 years ago, etc. So what do you recommend or what can you suggest to people who are really struggling right now with everything that is going on and they have seen maybe to have lost some of their sense of humor or have in, have lost their desire to go looking for humor? Can you address that at all? What works for me and what works for other people are different, but I will share a study from my TED talk. That, okay, that um, even so, this is as serious as it gets. So even Vietnam POWs, Vietnam War POWs, they did the study, and they had this group of POWs that they did the study, and they're like they had almost no mental illness. And you're talking about an abusive, starving, horrific time, you know, long environment. And they asked them what, what was going on? How could you survive and not go crazy? And the, repeatedly, Carol, people said humor, humor. And, and, you know, in the Ted talk, I talk about how they're like, well, what, what did you talk about? And they interview one guy and he goes, well, at first, I didn't think it was very funny. <laughs> like, of course you didn't think it was very funny. And then another guy goes, well, you just had to be there because it was very morbid. But mm -hmm. it created a sense of community. And it created, and thank goodness these people were not separated because you couldn't have that if you're completely separated, right? Right. So they had each other, and it was a it was a study about how humor made them feel connected, made them give gave them hope, and it was attributed to survival. So when I say humor saves lives, like I'm not kidding. There's another study about breast cancer patients and. One of my girlfriends is a breast cancer survivor, and she described it beautifully. She said. When you're going through breast cancer, people don't know what to say to you. 
They're so uncomfortable. And finding she, finding the funny and the not so funny was made her feel better and also made the people around her feel better. And so she was able to give all kinds of examples of that. One of the funniest one was her dad kept asking her how her autopsy was. And she's like, do you mean my biopsy? And he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so exactly. So it, so one thing is um, that I recommend that studies show is again to write out a journal and write out oh you're so mad you're mad at your ex-husband you're mad at your boyfriend you're mad at your kids you're 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 mad at the world you're mad at your employer you feel helpless write that write that all out and then you know depending on what it is go back you know in 30 days or 60 days and 90 days and try to look for the humor in it. And there's some of the stuff that is never funny. I mean, abuse is, is never funny. Although I have met some battered women that 10 years down the road, they are able actually to look back at some circumstances and be like, not funny, haha, but like how unbelievably crazy, like that kind of funny things were, but to look back on that and try to find the funny. Cause you know, in the heat of the moment, some of the things you say, to your kids, or your husband or whatever, and you're like, oh, and that emotion is so raw. And then you look back and it's like, really, was it that important? You know, really, like I'm, I'm losing it over this. And so even if you never go back and look for the funny in it, just writing it out is like a cathartic thing. And some people, you know, they burn it or they bury it or they, you know, whatever, but just writing stuff down, getting that out of your system is really cathartic. So that's one thing I would say right now. And then also there's so many groups available that are free that you don't have to go in person if you're nervous about COVID on Facebook support groups of every type, of every type, COVID mom support groups, um, divorce mom support groups, um, you know, whatever that, um, different groups are different people. I'm not drawn to groups that are complaining, complaining, complaining. Exactly. I'm more drawn to to groups that are like this happened, but they spin it in a, in a funny way or they, they're looking for true solutions or whatever. But, um, you know, that's up to you, but having somebody that you can, uh, lean on or, or see is really helpful. And also I would never give up like how valuable are funny books right now or funny movies or, yes, that's it. or funny videos or whatever. And so I, I do, I find myself and my kids were really drawn to that right now. Just, to, just for a few minutes of an escape, um, allow yourself to just escape from the world and, and something that you enjoy. And maybe you don't love comedy. So maybe you love drama or you love spy shows or whatever, World War II movies, but to remember to self-care and to escape into something that you do love for at least a few minutes every day, or you will get burned out. It's crazy. I agree. And my memoir is called Battered Hope. It was traumatic. The only thing that got me through was finding humor. And that essentially is what I was asking you. How do you find that humor when you don't feel like things are that funny around you and you don't have the hindsight, you know, knowing that you you made it through and then you can look back at it. But I literally had to go out and discover or find humor to keep me laughing. When my husband was in a car accident that left him with brain damage, I knew that the only way that he would get through was for me to find something to make him laugh. So I related to many of the things that you said as far as finding things to make you laugh, making other people laugh, finding the humor in a situation. Humor is healing. 
And humor is a muscle, just like any other muscle. And if you, um, in the TED Talk, I talk about find five funny things a day. And at first, if you're not a person Mm. that looks for that, you may not find it. But if you really look for it, you will find it. And I gave, I gave an example, like on Facebook, a, somebody had taken a picture of an OBGYN office and they had this big banner put up. It was in Austin, Texas. And they're like curbside OBGYN visits. And I'm like, (laughs) how is that working? I mean, it's so funny. And I'm sure, you know, they're not doing like move back, move back, you know, a little more, but like, what were they doing curbside? Or like my dog, you know, he thinks he's hiding, but his head, tail and legs are sticking out from under a chair. Or, you know, I I took a picture, I I showed the picture of the box of pasta on fire or, you know, it's just like, it's a muscle. And if you look for it and you start to train that muscle, you will start to find that. And it it may be a favorite column that you love that because, you know, people's sense of humor are very different. Yes. And, so you know, there are very many, there are different styles. So um, finding that humor, like I love, even though I don't write that style, I love the onion, you know, that publication. Yes. Yes. That a lot of those headlines make me laugh, even though I don't write that style, I still appreciate the um, wittiness of it. And it makes me giggle like you did. You really just like you said, you're in a hard time and you had to make yourself look for the humor in every situation, which is hard. And it's, um, you know, some days are better than others, right? Absolutely. I have one final question for you. Have you ever bombed when you did stand up comedy? (laughs) You know, I have been so lucky and so probably I'm going to bomb the next time I'm on there <laughs> to not bomb doing stand-up comedy, even though some like some jokes that I think I'll get like this would be a level three, you get a 10 out of it. And then other jokes, I'm like, this is going to kill them. And I think it's going to be a 10 and then it's reverse, you know? And so mm-hmm. sometimes it's like, like one time I was doing this joke about I was driving back from Ohio on 85, you know, 75 and 85. There must have been 100 bulletin boards, you know, like big billboards with right. with um, injury lawyer numbers. And all the numbers were like 999-9999 or 222. And so I made this joke about it. I was like, I guess because if you are in a wreck and you have a head injury, you could still remember that, you know? And so as I was going through them, the audience was chanting with me and I'm like, and the number was 222. And the audience was like, 2222. And they like got super into it. And I was like, I didn't think that joke was that funny. (laughs) They must know what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? Like they must be hearing these, these commercials where the number is always the same digit. So, you know, other jokes, uh, I'll forget a whole part. And then I wonder why they don't laugh. And my husband's like, you forgot a whole section. They didn't know what you're talking about. And so they're just kind of like, hmm. (laughs) You know, that is hilarious for me that you just brought that up because it has to be 30 years ago that uh, my husband and I, we were watching a commercial. I don't even remember what it was about, what it was for, but the phone number was five 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 five. You know, yeah. and I still to this day that makes me laugh whenever I see anything with five 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 in it. I mean, <laughs> oh, like that's their number. Like if you're on any highway in the United States, for some reason that's where the injury right. advertised. <laughs> it's so weird. This has been great. Oh, Amy, needed to hear this today. <laughs> appreciate everything you said and yes we've got to have the audience get your books they're going to be up on the web page that I'll make up for you and both of your books sound that 
very relatable for many different people for many different reasons and that's what makes them good i'm sure i thank you for that and we have to listen to your to your show in the burbs i'm excited about that as well so thank, thank you so you. much for giving us a smile today i thank you for being on never ever give up hope thank you thank you for listening to never ever give up hope featuring carol graham did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to quitting was never an option carol loves your comments and will respond to each one so please subscribe and review this podcast a rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated remember if you are still here there is always hope